0: Can be seated. If you've got your copy this morning of God's Word, I want to invite you to open up with me to First Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter 1. Last week we began our series through First Timothy, not in First Timothy, but by looking at the book of Acts. In particular, focusing on the story of the church in Ephesus. A church that in the Bible we have more details about than any other local church. We saw how it was founded. We saw the great work that God did in that city through Paul and through Apollos, through uh, those who were Paul's missionary comrades. And then we saw how after Paul was released from prison at the end of the book of Acts, he sent his young spiritual son in the faith, Timothy, to go to the church in Ephesus and to pastor it, to to be a shepherd of that flock. And we saw that 1 Timothy is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this young man pastoring Timothy. And the reason he wrote it was so that, in his own words, You will know how to behave in the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. 1 Timothy is a letter written to this young man to tell him to buckle down, to stay where he is, to combat false teaching and to pursue church health. So this letter... Is about putting the church in order. A word that, as we discussed last week, is much needed in our day where local churches are confused and are often a mess, where false teachers and wolves abound, and where God's people sadly do not take advantage of knowing the life giving, sanctifying words of truth that we call the Bible. Oftentimes when we read through the Bible on our own or in church, we will skip the introductions in order to get to the the letter, the the content, the meat of what the apostles and prophets are writing. But oftentimes when we do so, we skip over foundational truths that everything else is built on. And that is the case in 1 Timothy. Because in 1 Timothy 1 verse 1... Paul is going to remind Timothy and the church in Ephesus and us today what is the source of his authority. Remember, he's writing this letter to a young pastor and to a local church and he's writing about how to behave in church, how to structure your church, who can be a leader in church and who can't, how you ought to think about all sorts of things and he's expecting that these believers are going to listen to him, that these believers are going to heed his words. But why should they? The answer is found in verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. Read it with me. Apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. I'm going to read it again, because that's the only verse we're covering this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. I want you to see this morning, the big idea, the first truth that I want to put before you is that the Apostle Paul grounds his authority in his apostleship. He grounds his authority in the fact that he is an apostle. He gives a typical opening, including his name and title, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And we have to remember, Paul wants Timothy and the Ephesians to heed the words he's about to give. But listen, when we read through 1 Timothy, we're going to find verse after verse, chapter after chapter, that if Timothy leads his local church in Ephesus to do what Paul is saying to do, it's going to upset some folks. It's going to require that those who are false teachers or those who are false converts be rebuked, be held accountable... Sometimes even disciplined by the church. If they heed Paul's words in 1 Timothy, it's going to oftentimes result in them reconsidering who can be a leader, who can be a pastor, who can be a deacon in their church. It's going to lead them to reconsider how they think through which widows they should and should not serve. It's going to help them to think through how dangerous the love of money is and a whole host of issues. And listen, if you come into a church that's been around for a while and you start trying to change the status quo, it causes problems and it gets messy very quickly. Those Things that Paul is instructing in First Timothy are massive, even risky changes to be made in a local church. And if you are going to charge... A man to go and speak the truth and lead changes in a local church that will not be easy, that will make his life harder and could have massive consequences on his life. You have to ground those words and those commands you give in something beyond yourself, in an authority that is far beyond just your opinion. Think about it this way. Abraham in the book of Genesis is not going to march up Mount Moriah with his only beloved son Isaac and be willing to put him to death as a sacrifice if he is not confident that it was God that told him to do that. Moses is not going to leave the wilderness and leave his family and march back into Egypt to confront the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, and say, let my people go or else, if he's not confident that it was God who told him to go and do that. And in the same way, Timothy, this young pastor, is not going to go and turn a church upside down in obeying Paul's writing unless he is 100% confident that what Paul is saying is from God. It can't just be Paul's opinion. It can't just be a whim Paul has about the best way to do these things. It has to be grounded in the ultimate authority of God. And that's why Paul says what he says in chapter 1, verse 1 of First Timothy when he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. He's reminding Timothy that he is an apostle. Now why does that matter? Because an apostle was a recognized office in the early church. A New Testament apostle was the equivalent or the same thing as an Old Testament prophet. Think about the prophets in the Old Testament. God spoke to Moses, God spoke to Elijah, God spoke to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel so that these people that God used were literally the mouthpieces of God. The words that they proclaimed and the words that they wrote down, we call today the Bible. These were people who during their time, they would literally say, Thus says the Lord, and how they finished that was God's Word. And the apostles in the New Testament are able to speak and write what is considered. The equivalent of what the Old Testament prophets said and write. The very words of our God. And what that means is is that to disbelieve or to disobey the Old Testament prophets or the New Testament apostles was an act in and of itself of disobeying God because He was using them as His mouthpiece to speak His truth. The words these prophets and apostles wrote and spoke are what we call the Scriptures, the Bible, our very life, something to build our lives on, take to the bank, believe. This is God's inspired Word. Now what were the qualifications to be an apostle? Well, there were a few The first is is you had to have seen Jesus after His resurrection with your own eyes. And the second is you had to be specially called, specially commissioned by Christ to this task of apostleship. Back in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 10 verses 1 through 7, Jesus sent His 12 disciples out on mission. He gave them authority to heal and to cast out demons and to proclaim the Gospel. And Matthew includes a list of those men's names and then He gives them the title Apostles. And then after Jesus finishes His mission, after He dies on the cross of Calvary, overcomes the grave on Easter Sunday, Acts chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 says, "...it was to the apostles whom Jesus had chosen that He presented Himself alive after His passion by many proofs appearing to them for forty days." And then after Jesus ascended into heaven, Acts 1.22 tells us that Peter and the other ten apostles, because Judas is no longer with them, decided that they needed to replace Judas. And they say that it has to be someone who was a witness to Christ's resurrection. So with this definition of an apostle... Someone who has seen Jesus after His resurrection with their own eyes and has been specially commissioned by Christ to this office. Who sees the problem with 1 Timothy and with what Paul is saying? Paul wasn't there after the resurrection. Where was Paul? Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was one who hated Christ and all of his followers. So how can Paul be an apostle? How can he claim to have this authority from God so that His Word should be heeded? Well, the answer is found in many places in the Bible, but I want to focus specifically on 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul says that after Jesus rose from the dead, He appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And then he says, but last of all, as to one untimely born, He also appeared to me, for I am the least of the Apostles. Earlier in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he asked the question, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen our Lord? Now what's he talking about? He's clearly talking about Acts chapter 9, where he saw the Lord Jesus who gave him a vision and blinded him until one of God's people came and restored his sight and taught him the true gospel. Reflecting on this later in Acts 26, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus appointed him as an apostle to the Gentile. He says, "I Jesus appeared to me for this purpose, to appoint me to serve and to bear witness to the Gentiles. So Paul is making the claim. Something that the other apostles actually are going to affirm in the book of Acts in the early church... That he is an apostle who saw the risen Christ and has a special commission from our Lord and King Jesus to speak for God on his behalf to guide the churches in the New Testament and beyond. And remember, Paul is grounding his authority in his apostleship. So that when false teachers in the church in Ephesus say that they know God's word better than Timothy does, or when the church is standing against false teaching or standing against false converts and is disciplining someone who is denied the gospel and refusing to repent, and when feelings are hurt and accusations are being thrown around, Paul wants Timothy to have 100%, 100% belief, absolute confidence that what he is doing is right because God has said so. And God has mediated this truth through whom? Through Paul, the apostles. If you read through the whole New Testament, whenever Paul is writing letters to churches, he is constantly giving encouragement but also instruction. Sometimes he's giving correction. And sometimes these churches think that they know better than Paul. Sometimes they're pushing back against that instruction. Sometimes they disobey his word. Sometimes they challenge him. And when that happens, Paul never says, you should listen to me because I went to seminary. You should listen to me because I have a PhD. He never says, you should listen to me because I was a Pharisee. He never says, you should listen to me because I've forgotten more of the Bible than you've ever known. He never says, you should listen to me because of my last name, because of my religious pedigree, because of my spiritual resume. You know what he always says? He says, you should listen to me because I'm an apostle, specially commissioned by Christ. And therefore... If you are arguing with what I'm saying to you in this instance, you're actually arguing with God. Paul grounds his authority in nothing more than his apostleship. And that has big implications for us today. The first of which, which is a truth on the back of the bulletin if you're following along, is that means that the office of apostle doesn't exist anymore. The office of apostle has ceased. There are no apostles today. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, that the church, the people of God, are built upon the foundation of what? of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. And what do we today call the words of the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles? We call them the Bible. We call them Scripture. The church, according to Paul, is built on the foundation of the Word of God. God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative Scriptures. Scriptures which point to and tell the story of and then give the implications of all that our Lord Jesus has done for us. That means that today anyone who claims to speak for God with an equal authority to the Bible is misled because their words cannot be foundational to a church that has existed for 2,000 years. There are no longer apostles. And that truth guides us very practically as believers in a handful of ways today. The first way that that truth, that apostles are no more, guides us is it guides us in how to respond to claims that God has spoke to me. Every one of us, if we've been in and around church or Bible studies or or whatever for for, for a while, have probably heard the person who said, God told me this or God showed me this. Maybe you even have, have said that and had experiences like that. I just want to remind everyone that every false religion that has ever existed in the history of man has began in that way. It's began by someone claiming that God has spoken to them and then saying something that contradicts the inspired authoritative word of God. When you see Mormons in pairs riding bikes with button-up short sleeve shirts and helmets on, going house to house through neighborhoods, proclaiming a false gospel. The reason that that mission exists is because a man named Joseph Smith said God spoke to him. And then people, instead of testing what he said, up against the standard of the Word of God, followed him. And as a result, there are millions upon millions today who are deceived. And we could go through every religion today and every one of them begins in the same way with someone saying, God spoke to me. But friends, the Bible teaches, and we believe, if we are evangelical, orthodox Christians, that the canon of Scripture is closed And what that means is that God will not speak to us or to anyone today in the same way that He did to the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles. When someone claims that God spoke to them and their message that they're claiming is from God contradicts the inspired and errant word of God, we should unapologetically reject it because God's word is the standard and God's word is enough. And if it was really from God, it wouldn't contradict what he had already said because he is a God of order, not a God of confusion. But what about when people claim that God has spoken to them, that they have some sort of message from God, and it doesn't directly contradict Scripture? What do you do then? Because this happens all the time. I think that it's imperative that believers still be very discerning. Because even if God has somehow communicated to them or or, or shown them something or, or whatever it might be, What they say is from God is based on their own imperfect interpretation of an experience that they alone have had, and therefore it is subjective and cannot be tested by anyone else. So we have to be discerning. What I mean is this. There's a difference between saying, God said, and then finishing that sentence with a Bible verse. And saying, God said to me, and finishing that sentence with something that's not in the Bible. There is a massive difference between those two statements. A good example that I want to just briefly mention is one that many of us are probably familiar with. There's a devotional that's been out for a long time now, and it's called Jesus Calling by a lady named Sarah Young. Now, I've read the thing, and I don't think that it's promoting false teaching. But what the author claims in this devotional is that she has received new revelations from Jesus and then she has written those revelations from Jesus down in first person and put her words in the mouth of Jesus as if Jesus is actually saying these things to you. Now, she even writes in the introduction to this that, her messages are not equal to Scripture. She admits that they are not perfect. But the fact of the matter is that she's putting them in the words of our Savior Jesus and therefore is claiming an authority that comes from these mystical revelations that she's had that Jesus did not actually say. How did she get these revelations? Because as she was pursuing holiness and trying to run hard after the Lord, she knew that the Bible was the way to hear from God, but she decided in her own words that the Bible was not enough. In her own words, I knew God spoke to me in the Bible, and yet I yearned for more than what He said in the Bible. I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on any given day, which began a practice of listening prayer where you listen for God to speak to you. Then she wrote them down and put them in the words of Jesus and marketed them to millions. Friends, I just want to encourage you, if you find yourself saying, I know that God speaks to me through the Bible, but you should stop and not finish that sentence. And the reason is because you cannot finish that sentence without communicating that God's Word is not enough for us to be saved and sanctified for life and salvation and godliness. Now my aim, listen, I'm confident that there are people in this room who've probably read and maybe even benefited from a devotional like this one. And I could go down a list and give lots of different examples of things like this. My goal in this is not to make you feel bad if you've benefited from that. Because honestly, if you've read and enjoyed that book, and if it's a reminder to you that God loves you, right? And what's being said is not contradicting Scripture, it could even be helpful for you or uplift you. But it's important for us to make a distinction because what that in particular book says that Jesus says, Jesus did not say. If we want to know what Jesus says to us, we need to go read what Jesus said that's recorded in the inspired scriptures that the prophets and the apostles have given to us. What would the Apostle Paul say if someone in the first century when he was doing ministry was claiming that they had mystical experiences and special revelations from God and they were making them public and acting as if they were had equal authority to the apostles teaching I think this is what he would say he'd say exactly what he said in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 the foundation of the church is the apostles teaching That is where Jesus' words and instruction are found. They are whom Jesus specially commissioned. They are whom Jesus told in the upper room discourse that He would bring to remembrance all the words that Jesus has said. They are whom Jesus has called to speak. They are the ones. And that is all you need. I think that's what Paul would say. So this truth that this office of apostle has ceased guides how we respond to claims that God has spoken to someone. I just want to say just real quick, this isn't in my notes, but I understand how sometimes sermons can critique lots of things. And it's easy to walk away and say, why can't we just focus on what's positive instead of critiquing you know, little nitpicky things? The reason is because if we are in Christ, we have joy in Christ and hope in Christ and a love for the truth and therefore anything that maligns the truth, anything that promotes error, anything that keeps God's people from growing up into maturity and growing up into delight and joy in God is dangerous for our souls and dangerous for our maturity and dangerous for our reputation in the world and therefore sometimes our love of God shows itself by speaking against things that are not true. It's a manifestation of our joy and hope and love in God and the fact that we think God is holy and God is righteous and God is just and God cares that we reflect what He says and who He is accurately because He's about His glory. This truth that the apostleship has ceased guides us to respond to claims of how God has spoken to us, but it also guides us in how to evaluate biblical preaching and teaching. It helps guide us in how to evaluate biblical preaching and teaching. When a preacher stands up and delivers a sermon, should what they say be considered to have equal authority with the Word of God? I think the answer is... Kind of. Maybe. Depends. Yes and no. And this is what I mean. If that man who is preaching is actually saying what the Word of God says and what he's communicating to the people of God is what the original intention of the author was, if the, the things that he's saying are from God's Word and the meaning he's pulling out of it and the application is directly coming from the Word of God, then I think in a sense you can say, yes, God can speak to us through a sermon and even through an imperfect preacher. But many today do not crave preaching that says what God's Word says. Many today instead crave preachers who are known for their topical, practical messages that meet me right where I am. Churches, in fact, will attract droves and droves by giving advice about how to be a better you, how to improve your self-esteem, how to have confidence in yourself, how to improve your communication skills, parenting made easy, foolproof marriage plans, making money work for you, and so many other topics that are not in and of themselves bad. But what these sermons oftentimes do and these series do is they take the Scriptures and they rip them out of their original context and they use those verses and those passages to suit their aims and their needs instead of letting the Word of God say what the Word of God says. What happens when you consistently are under a diet of topical preaching is that the man who stands up here who is imperfect... There are no perfect preachers, I promise. That man is choosing what he wants to talk about, and then once he decides what he wants to say, he's got to go find a few Bible verses to back it up. But that is not biblical preaching. And it it uses the Bible, but what it does is it fails to show what the apostles' and the prophets' goal, what their intention was. God's Word to us is what's been communicated in the scriptures. God doesn't want us to just use the bible and rip verses out of context practice all the time in order to suit our needs. In fact, I often hear preachers who everything they said I agree with, it's just what they said didn't come from the passage of scripture that they quoted. And therefore, they are they're with good intentions training their people to be bad bible readers. Topical sermons can be okay, as long as the point of the text they're preaching is the point of what is being communicated. Friends, when a man gets up to preach the Word of God, what should be preached is the Word of God. Because the Word of God, not the man, has the authority. When a preacher's message is not the point of the text he's preaching, then he is not preaching the Word of God, he is pandering the Word of God, and he is picking and choosing from it to make the point that he wants to make instead of the point that God has already made in his inspired text. When a man stands up in a pulpit and tells story after story and uses humor and personality and emotion and passion to draw you in, and all of those things, while not bad, distract you from the text of Scripture instead of derive from the text of Scripture, than he is building a ministry on his personality and gifting and skills instead of building a ministry and building a church on the Word of God. There's a lot of people who can entertain you. There's a lot of people who are earnest and passionate and fiery. But friends, it doesn't matter how they communicate. It doesn't matter how they draw you in. It doesn't matter their oratory skill. What matters more than anything is what is being said. Is it from the Word of God? Is it the point of the text? Because the authority lies not in the person preaching or teaching, but in the Word. The truth that the office of apostleship has ceased guides how we evaluate biblical preaching and teaching. But it was one more thing that I want to briefly hit on. Lastly, it guides how we, we should seek to hear from God. It guides how we should seek to hear from God. My purpose in bringing out this, this thing, this, this, this emphasis on apostleship and authority, is not to communicate to you that God is no longer at work today the canon of Scripture being closed and the apostles ceasing, that does not mean that God does not still speak to us today. He does. He speaks to us through His Word. He speaks to us through circumstances that we face. He speaks to us through His people who are inspired and empowered by the Spirit of God. He still speaks to us and yet we must be on guard when we see tendencies in ourselves to ignore and neglect God speaking to us through the Bible while we find ourselves longing for God to speak to us in some special, unique, unverifiable, subjective way. If you're looking for direction for your future and your life, And you're looking for God to speak to you in a vision or a writing in the sky when He's given us His inspired word, you should change your tactics. You should go read this and apply it, read it with other believers. God has said all that we need for life and godliness and salvation. We need to be on guard. When we find ourselves giving more weight to spiritual experiences that we have had that are subjective and personal than we do to God's Word that is objective and eternal. Whenever our experiences are more important to us than the Word of God, we will eventually find ourselves saying, I know God's Word says this, but I'm going to do this because He told me something else. No, brother. No, sister. That is wrong. If God spoke to you, it would match up with what He has already said. We have to be careful. That when we have big decisions or small decisions to make in our lives, that we are not putting our God to the test, looking for strange confirmations while we're ignoring God's Word, while we're ignoring good advice from other believers, while we're ignoring sanctified common sense. God, I don't want to use my brain. I don't want to read the Bible. I just want you to make it easy for me and write it in my alphabet serial or in writing in the sky. Speak to me in a still, small voice because I'm too lazy to read the Bible. No! This is why false teaching abounds. This is why people stand up and pander God's Word and have churches full of people. Because we must have the discernment and we must have a commitment to the inspired Scriptures as the foundation and authority of our life. Friends, God has spoken. God has spoken to us and His Word is authoritative and inerrant and it is sufficient, it is enough to guide our lives and to help us walk in the truth day by day. The word that God has given to us is the word of the apostles. And their apostleship was the ground of their authority. And their apostleship would give young pastors like Timothy and local churches like Ephesus and should give churches like Galleon Baptist Church confidence and boldness in the same way that it used to today. Paul would never encourage believers to try to grow up and mature in their faith or seek encouragement or instruction by seeking special words from the Lord. Instead, he would say, God has spoken in the prophets and apostles, the foundation of the church. Trust it. Believe it. Obey it. Tether your life to it and build your life on the solid rock of God's Word that testifies to us of who Christ is. Friends, as we do that, God will make us more like Christ. God will renew our minds day by day and we will be defined as a people of the book. Because this book points us to our Savior Jesus who's accomplished salvation for sinners. And this book gives us the commands of King Jesus who rules and reigns today and forevermore. Last week we closed with a hymn called How Firm a Foundation. The first verse says, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more can He say than to you He hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus has fled. Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 and following say, "...the law of the Lord is perfect." reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening our eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are the words of God than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, that I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in what? His delight is in the law of the Lord and on His law He meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not Wither. Hebrews 4, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It gets all up in our business and discerns our thoughts and attitudes and minds. Second Timothy 3:16 and 17. God's word is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching and instruction and correction and training in righteousness. The entire psalm of Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, is a declaration of the trustworthiness and the beauty and the goodness of the Word of God. God cares about His Word, guys. He cares about His Word. And we must build our lives on this book. And as we do so, we must cry out for God through His Word to show us more of Himself. And He will do so as we diligently and devotionally study and meditate and believe and obey His promises. Timothy, why should you do what I'm telling you to do? Church in Ephesus, church today, why should you heed the words of 1 Timothy? because the Lord Jesus has specially commissioned me as an apostle. Let us trust His Word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You this morning for Your grace and Your mercy. And God, we acknowledge that Your Word is so valuable. Your Word is so important for our lives. Your Word, Lord, is what we must build our own lives on, individually and corporately. God, we desperately need discernment. We desperately need to think your thoughts after you. And we desperately need you to speak to us today and every day. God, I pray for my own life, for my family, and for our church family, God, that we will be a people who build our lives and build our church On the word of God. God who don't stand above it and pick and choose what we like. But instead Lord. Who surrender to it. And acknowledge that these are the very words of God. They are our life and our salvation. And therefore are to be valued and treasured. God stir us up with a desire to know you more. And God give us the wisdom. To seek to know you more through your word. God, we pray that you will speak to us now, this week, this month, and for the rest of our lives through your Word. And God, we pray that it will never become just a an academic exercise, that it'll never become just something that we read so that we can win Bible trivia. But God, help Your Word to transform our lives, to make us more like Christ, to convict us of sin, to point us to our Savior, to help us to think rightly about ourselves and You and our world and salvation. Lord, we pray that Your Word will transform and renew us. And God, most of all, we pray that as we consider it, it will point us to Jesus, the Savior of sinners. Father God, we praise you and we pray for you to speak to us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.